0: Drew Brees, 35 yards away from the all-time career passing record in the NFL and passing the legendary Peyton Manning on the 38 in New Orleans. Drops back, looks long, far side. He's got a wide-open receiver. It's caught at the 35, breaking the tackle, 30 from the 20, down the sideline, the 10, the 5, and it's a touchdown for Traquan Smith. Over-the-shoulder catch, 62 yards, and the record! Brees has done it!
1: Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show in association with Touchdown Trips, getting you, yes, you, in the
2: game. Hey, Ollie, how are we doing, Willie! Yeah, I'm good, Witty. I am, we're... I am fine. We were going to record <laughs> yesterday.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to tell this very same story. Go well, for I, it. I, I,
2: Ollie, come and meet me in the pub for a pint. Okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll, I'll have one pint before we start recording. That's great. That that'll make us a little loose, little looser, little loose lipped. A uh, nice nice little free-rolling free podcast. It'll be great. What sort of time was that? That was seven. Yeah, okay. Seven, so that's fine. What time little, did we leave the pub? Little did I know that you were there with two other people. I met another guy, ooh, ooh. Joe. Lovely out, Joe. Lovely Joe. Joe outside, who was just drinking on his own because he'd had a tough day at work and needed a bit of respite. And... Um, once you get stuck in a round system, it's very difficult to get out of said round system.
1: You don't want to be that guy who has no. 3 pints and then
2: leaves, do you? I mean, I could easily have been that guy. I was not that guy. Uh so no. So um, yeah. so 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 we didn't end up recording. You went to work so, pr- pretty sober because you went and had a lovely capital kebabs from over the road. I yeah, stayed I in the pub with Declan, got the last train home. Had more pints, had McDonald's, which was disgusting. (laughs) And then woke up in Ashstead having missed my stop. And then Oh mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. But Uber wasn't that much. It was only eight quid Uber, so that's fine. But still, it's still
1: annoying. <laughs> Buddy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I stayed up and uh, did my job, obviously. Watched uh, watched Monday Night Football, uh, did the show, and uh, we had Greg Rosenthal on as well. So loads for us to obviously get into in today's show. No Jay Ajayi coming to London this year now. Uh, we've got Drew Brees passing the passing yardage record. We'll tell you about the reaction In the pub when the Browns won on Sunday night, more overtime games, lots to dig deep into. Um, Let's start off with that Monday night football game. And actually, let's start off with Greg Rosenthal. Every week we might work this in, his appearance on TalkSport, because he's always good value. Uh, And we talk about it. We spoke to him probably just half an hour after Drew Brees had passed the passing yardage record. Amazing scenes at the Superdome. He'd said pre-season that he wasn't going to make a big deal out of the records until he actually retired. But I'm kind of glad that they actually gave it actually gave it some essentially so um yeah really really pleased really really good stuff uh, and so let's hear from greg rosenthal and we start off by talking about drew Brees and the superdome
3: yeah i mean at this point the game's basically over so this is it's a fine t- time to talk but you're right there's nothing like uh, a new orleans saints party and in between the last commercial break they were showing you know Mark Ingram and and uh, Michael Thomas and they're just dancing along to one of the, the songs that they're playing and the whole crowd is going crazy and there's still like 25 minutes left in this game and and they're basically a, it's an extended celebration for the next couple of quarters. I, I,
1: the fact is is that I was just asked the question by Sam, our producer. Where do you rank Drew Brees then in the pantheon of quarterbacks? And sometimes when we put together, I know ahead of. Um, super bowl 51 for the magazine that we used to do in house here sport magazine uh, i was asked to do an article on the top 50 quarterbacks of the super bowl era and i i had drew Brees firmly in my top 10 and some people got a bit sniffy about it and it amazes me that people get funny because they claim that his stats are inflated based on the teams he was on, that he almost isn't respected in the same breath as the Tom Brady's, the Peyton Manning's of this era and the great severe has gone by.
3: Yeah. And that's a little unfair. Now on one hand, yeah, the stats are inflated on some level. Everyone in this era is at least compared to Joe Montana. You know, if you wanted to go back even further, of course, to the sixties and seventies and Johnny, Johnny Unitas was playing and everything. But I did a similar exercise. I think quarterbacks would have played in the Super Bowl era. And he was at at about the same spot, kind of at the back half of the top ten. I don't know if this, you know, the last two years would have changed too much for me. But you know what? He's playing at at a MVP type of level right now. And that's one thing missing from his resume. Uh, And it also, another thing missing from his resume is, is really another memorable playoff run. And if he could do that at, at age 39, uh, then you start maybe moving him up that list a little bit. But I, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment. I, I always did see him as, as kind of third behind Brady and Manning or third behind Brady and Aaron Rodgers. And and I'm not going to change that just because uh, tonight's been so great. But it, it, is, it is amazing. As someone who went to school in New Orleans, he might mean more to that city than any quarterback of my lifetime has meant to any city. I, I really don't think there's there's a good comparison.
1: What we're saying is he's the Andy Murray of quarterbacks. He just played in the <laughs> wrong era.
3: Uh, that that might be it a little bit, but like <laughs> Andy Murray, like Andy Murray, it's like, yeah, you can say that, but Andy Murray had his moments. You know, he got his Wimbledon, he got his Olympics, he got to be the hero, and so... You know, I don't feel too bad for him. And Drew Brees is, as, as a beloved, I think, in New Orleans as Andy Murray is in the UK. Certainly in
1: Scotland. We have our moments with him in the rest of the UK. We <laughs> we pick and choose a little bit. Um, <laughs> the, the other thing about tonight's game is that we had, and, and Washington are actually driving at the moment, although they might have just turned the ball back over again. But um, we had on the other side of things uh, Alex Smith, who's had an incredibly up-and-down career when you consider being a number one overall pick, being a top guy in the draft. It took him a long time to actually bed into that 49ers team. And then he was replaced there and he ends up getting replaced again now in Kansas City. Um, But they're getting a lot of stick, Washington, on Twitter, certainly at least, for, for giving away Kirk Cousins when we saw the amazing performance that he had for Minnesota last night.
3: Yeah, and and I didn't I didn't fault them too badly for at least getting Alex Smith. They had kind of dug themselves into a corner. Uh, I'm not exactly sure why they didn't pay Kirk Cousins. And the way that he's playing in Minnesota is to me showing that maybe he was underutilized with Washington because I think he's playing better with the Vikings maybe than he even ever did in, in Washington. So uh, I, I kind of agree with that sentiment that you should not be downgrading at quarterback but they they never truly embraced him. Jay Gruden never really saw Kirk Cousins, I don't believe, as the guy that he truly wanted. For whatever reason, I, I don't really know, it, it never was a guy that he felt like he chose. He wasn't the guy who was there when they brought in Kirk Cousins. Um
1: now Greg, I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going to be honest with you about something. And I hope you don't take too much offense to it. Okay. <laughs> um, this is one of my favorite segments we do of the week. I love catching up with you every week on the Monday. Um, I did ask if we could speak with a different member of your team this week, and we did put in a request, but he was too busy being on the broadcast podcast. Yes, that's actually what he's doing at the moment. Um, but I wanted to have a chat with Mark Sessler because the Browns won again.
3: Well, what you expect me to continue this conversation, <laughs> even though I was the second choice? We could have had you what both you on. I, I would have happily I had you both on.
1: You're still my, you're yeah. still my top guy, Greg. Don't you ever think any different? But uh, you know, <laughs> it's. Bless, bless Mark. He's had to go through a lot. That brilliant long form he wrote for NFL.com about being a, a lifelong Browns fan. And, and you know, I, I the reason I tell you is because I watched the early kickoffs, the 6 p.m. as it is here in the UK. We watched it in a, a bar in Central, me and Ollie and a, and a few guys from Gridiron magazine. Um, and when the overtime kick went over for the Browns for them to beat the Ravens last night, there were maybe... 100 150 people in this bar and we all celebrated like our own team had just scored a winning wow. field goal because I'm sorry they're the new americas team there everyone is rooting for the browns at this point
3: i am with you and i wish i wish mark was able to do uh this hit. you should you should have him on next week, because i think the browns are going to still keep winning and it's funny that that's catching on here too when when they hit that field goal, and maybe it's because Mark is literally in the newsroom and we're afraid of what kind of Mark we're going to get if if that doesn't happen. But, you know, I watched that entire game and I'm rooting on the Browns and I'm kind of, you know, like many people, starting to really – like the idea of them in a playoff race i think it's going to make this season more interesting and i do not think they're going away i think they're a really solid team i you know i'm not saying they're a super bowl contender but i think we're going to be still talking about them when we're doing this call you know the two days before christmas in december um uh, you're
1: assuming i'm still gonna have a show by then which is lovely greg i appreciate it (laughs) there there are uh, there are there are four teams specifically i need to ask you about and i'm going to start off with the positives um, the, the two teams who are currently sat at 5-0 and in the uh, Los Angeles Rams and, and the Kansas City Chiefs uh, they go to they face each other in Mexico City in mid-November which in itself I'm in LA that weekend we were actually at Chargers Broncos on the Sunday and I am seriously tempted hmm. to see how much a flight down to Mexico City and a, and a ticket that and night. everything for that game might cost me because you know you only live once um, but
3: not much, I think you can get down there pretty pretty cheap from here
1: well it might happen it may may well happen, but um these two teams and these two offenses have have absolutely lit up the nfl and and unsurprisingly they now sit as the the Super Bowl favorites from their respective conferences
3: yeah, I would say slight favorites because the you know the obviously the season can change so much but it, but the the leads that they've built are significant, so you know the Rams are one of only four teams with even a winning record in the NFC after tonight. And the the Saints now look like a competitor, uh, certainly at the top of the conference. But I think both teams are in a position where it's not too early to say anything less than a playoff bye is a disappointment. And and I'm convinced that the NFL season ultimately is just kind of a warm-up until about December. But the, the biggest advantage you can get is that, that playoff bye, which means you get a week off, you get a home game in the first round. Hopefully you get home field advantage. And at this point, I mean, the Chiefs are two games clear. If they can win in Foxborough, they're playing the Patriots this Sunday night, uh, they are in great position to get that number one seed.
1: What did you make of the um, of that Chiefs performance over the Jags in particular because it was a game we had live on TalkSport 2 and a lot of people thought maybe the Jags were the the defence to go in there and and finally stop Pat Mahomes and okay he didn't have his best game since starting for them but yet still they managed to consistently move the ball on supposedly the best defence in football.
3: Yeah, it doesn't surprise me, especially in Kansas City. They're a different team. This is an offensive league. I don't think you're you're not going to win just with with your defense, even a defense as as good as the Jaguars. And the Jaguars move the ball pretty well. You're not going to win uh, a game if you're Jacksonville turning the ball over like that. I do think the Chiefs have enough playmakers on defense. Uh, they have D Ford playing well. Justin Houston's going to miss a couple weeks. Eric Berry could come back uh, eventually. Chris Jones is playing well, and they're playing a couple of rookies. Uh, now for the last two games who have been solid. And you would think maybe they're going to get better as the season goes along. So I think there's enough talent there that they can make plays. Their key is just getting a couple turnovers a game and they're off and running. Because if you give Pat Mahomes an extra possession or two, they're going to win the game.
1: And then finally, Greg, I've got to ask you about two of the teams who are less successful this season in the NFL. And the reason I'm asking about these teams is because, of course, the first London games are coming up this Sunday. Oh. We have <laughs> we have a game that, when it was announced last year, these are two of the most supported teams in the UK. The fan bases were so excited for the prospect of seeing both the Seattle Seahawks and the Oakland Raiders come out here. I, I need you to give me some positivity about why I should be pumped for Sunday night at Wembley.
3: Okay. First of all, you should be. This this was going to be the game that our podcast was going to until uh, we it got Tuesday. That's more
1: reason to be disappointed, the fact that you're not here, Greg. (laughs) Uh,
3: I think it's going to be a great game for a few reasons. Number one, Marcel Lynch is one of my favorite stories of the year. He's playing so well, and to have the first game where he's going up against the Seahawks and all of that drama and backs and the hard feelings there, to me, is a nice little subplot. And then on a, a more, like tangible level I think the Seahawks have a chance here like I said there's only four teams with a winning record in the NFC I thought what they showed last week against the Rams was really impressive on offense that they were able to run the ball like that they're starting to figure out uh, the play action passing game and going deep down the field and I started to think that's going to be a tough place to play Seattle I know the Rams found a way to score they had some big plays on special teams but that's that's the Rams I, I think the Seahawks when I looked at their schedule, I started to think, I, I don't know if I would bet against them as a wild-card team. And, and to be that type of team, this game matters, and, and they got to win this game and start piling up some Ws.
1: And look, if nothing else, the post-game press conferences, Pete Carroll, John Gruden, we know we're in for some entertainment.
3: Right. John Gruden right now seems so exasperated. He said he was depressed at his press conference today. So if, if you go to it and they lose another game in London, I think you're going to get some fireworks. Greg
1: Rosenthal, my chat with him on Talk TalkSport. Uh, Ollie, first of all, on Drew Brees. Uh, I mean, it's obviously an amazing record. And, and I said it to Greg, you get people who talk about the fact that he's in the right situation, that it's a passing league now, all of that other stuff. And, and admittedly, those the, the kind of gaudy stats that he's got, you might not have been able to achieve 30, 40 years ago. But this idea that I saw spreading across social media last night that someone will surpass it again in three or four years' time, other than Tom Brady, there's no active quarterback within 18,000 yards of where Drew Brees is right now. Wow. He's thrown for nearly 41 miles. And um, honestly, when you consider that he'll probably play for another two years and get to about 80,000 yards, uh, of the eight 5,000-yard seasons in NFL history, Four of them belong to Drew Brees. You would need to play a 16-year career, averaging 5,000 yards a year, in order to reach that 80,000 mark that I think he could end up breaching. There's a strong chance that it will never be broken, and I don't get this rhetoric that was going on online
2: last night. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. Aaron Rodgers, in the way that he plays, he's on 40,000, just over 40,000. That offence... Is not a, a high yard scoring offense. Matty Ryan, forty three thousand. They're just too far away. And then the other guys, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, and Philip Rivers. Again, they're still too far away and the wrong, the wrong side of thirty five. So I can't see it happening. Drew Brees was amazing last night. He was just amazing. Twenty six out of twenty nine completions. It's just he, he and and. He's doing it as a, an undersized QB, a guy who can't see over every single lineman, and he's just—I mean, a, a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. Just amazing that we're witnessing history in our time as well. I just—I I think he's—I think he's brilliant, and it—I—I it will th- I th- be—it's an—it's—it's it's a real. I, I, I'm struggling to, with this because I really want to see him. In the Superdome. <laughs> so if we've only yeah. got two years left of him, I think that has to be on pretty much everyone's bucket list. If they love football and they love the way that the, the, the he plays, get to the Superdome and watch him do what he does at home in the one of the best cities in the US. And do it with touchdown trips. Yes, getting... T- you yes, yes you. you
1: um so and the other thing i talked to greg about i mean i talked to him about a wide ranging group of subjects and obviously we'll preview this weekend's first london game and a show later this week um uh, but the um the, the the browns win over the baltimore ravens i mean we've not discussed it in any we didn't discuss it in any In depth with Greg, I was convinced that the Ravens were going to be absolutely fantastic uh, in this game and have no problem whatsoever. But Denzel Ward as a fourth overall pick has just been absolutely sensational. When everyone said they should have taken Bradley Chubb, they they look like when the Raiders brought in Mack and Carr in the same draft. Honestly, I know it's very early days, but Warden Mayfield could be that transformative draft that could actually turn this team into a really good team longer term. Um, both teams' defensive units were fantastic. I mean, the Ravens did a brilliant job of making Baker Mayfield constantly uncomfortable. Um, the... the <laughs> overtime and the Browns is not really a thing that they've enjoyed in recent years, but they finally get the win. They finally get the kick in overtime. 12-9, absolutely brilliant to see. And we were in uh, Riley's on Haymarket where we watched the games on Sunday night with Sherry and with Josh from uh, Gridiron. And honestly, it was the biggest reaction of the night when the Browns won.
2: I think it was even bigger than Riyad Mahrez missing that penalty. (laughs) <laughs> it was it, it was um, it was extraordinary, and you get caught up in the emotion of things. And there were people off their seats cheering, myself included, just because the Browns won another game. And incredibly, they've got the same record as Green Bay two two and one, and they're not the worst. Well, actually. I said that Pittsburgh were the worst team in the NFC, or the AFC North. I don't know who is now. It's such a wide open division, a really, really interesting division because the Ravens they'll go out and blow away some teams, and then just something the bed against the Browns. I know it's it was in the dog pound, and it's, that's a difficult place to go now. But Flacco didn't look that good. Um, they're, they're they're really struggling on the ground. Alex Collins and Buck Allen not doing it at the moment so
1: i still think um, when you consider the fact that the browns are the uh, are, are absolutely loaded with rookies they are still i think they are still on paper and they've still got hugh jackson as their head coach they are still on paper yeah. the worst team in the afc north because i mean the bengals are having a great season the uh, you know the steelers bounced back from that loss to the ravens in spectacular fashion on sunday uh, I still think the Browns, the Browns could finish bottom of that division but with five or six wins and they should be delighted with where their season's gone because it looks like a really, really good division uh, from top to bottom for the first time in a while. So, yeah, it's tough on them but they get the win this weekend. They're 2-2-1 two, two and one, and, uh, yeah, you know, two and a half games more than they won last year. So, um, let's work our way through Sunday's games, Ollie, and uh, let's, uh, let's start off with because I love being a masochist. Sunday night football, live on Talk Sport, the Houston Texans nineteen, the Dallas Cowboys sixteen, another overtime game. But a game which for probably two and a half quarters I thought was a really intriguing battle.
2: And then the head coaches both seemed to bottle it. It was an intriguing battle. There were both teams were doing some interesting things. On offense, the defenses both looked really good as well. But you're right. The the, Texans
1: O-line actually protected the Sean Watson. Like the one thing we said couldn't happen on Friday's show. And they absolutely nailed it for most of the game.
2: Absolutely. And and you're right. And then suddenly, come the second half, both teams played not to win the game and also not to lose the game. It it was almost as though a tie... uh, if it, it's almost as though if you'd have offered both teams the tie after maybe the third quarter, they would have just taken it straight away because it both both coaches went within themselves. I mean, Bob's Bill O'Brien's play calling was was dreadful. He do said we, in the do... at the at the end of the second half. Um, it, so, sorry, he said at the end of the first half. I have to do better on the play calling. Well, he didn't do better in that in that second half. It was abysmal. Just dumps. It was it was so obvious. It would be run up the middle for two or three yards, a, 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 maybe doing that again, or or a little screen pass that will go for negative yards, and then another run, and then a punt. It was so predictable.
1: And the thing is, uh, yeah, remember when the Falcons were the rubbish red zone team in the NFL? It's now the Houston Texans because they, uh, they got a touchdown the first visit to the red zone. Well done. That's what we want to see. They then went inside the five yard line on a first and goal on four more occasions and came away with three field goals. Nine points from four visits inside the five-yard line with three to four downs on every occasion. They actually went for it on fourth and one at the goal line. And you have to say, the Cowboys front seven is stepping up and looking like... I think it's the the best group on the Cowboys right now because um, the emergence of Leighton Van Der Esch, the amazing... Jalen Smith in the second half was absolutely superb. Harassed Watson, stopped the run, looked really, really good. And they didn't have anything really to answer to him for, the Texans. But to have that kind of rate of I mean, they should have won this game, the Houston Texans, by 14 to 21 points, realistically, based on balance of play. The Cowboys, whilst good on defense, didn't get things going on offense, didn't get Zeke Elliott going like they had done the week before. They are still such a there's such a lack of balance on the offensive side of the ball for them that they are going to struggle against teams with a good front seven. And they end up relying on a big play in overtime and a brilliant play. From DeAndre Hopkins, uh, who is guy, a guy who can go missing in action at times and then pop up, but it was I, – I heard them describe it on, uh, on the TV broadcast when I watched it back as Larry Fitzgerald-esque, and it was that. Mm. And uh, that is – I'm not as high on Hopkins as you are, but it was everything that he is good at. I, you know, I think he's a top 10 to top 20 receiver in that range. I don't have him in that top five talent because I don't think he gets – enough separation on his routes I don't think that's what he's as good at in the same way that you get from the Julio Joneses the Antonio Browns the 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 kind of Odell Beckhams of this world Michael Thomas yeah Yeah, Michael Thomas sorry how could I not mention Michael Thomas um so yeah I there is that element of that for me with it but the play was you know physical great hands never say die, got those spin moves. So, you know, it was impressive to see that he was the one that changed the game. But two teams at two and three now, and certainly in two divisions where two and three at this stage in the season, you could still go on and very much win the division in the NFC East and the AFC South. We we talked about the undefeated teams with um with Greg briefly the Los Angeles Rams and the Kansas City Chiefs the Chiefs coming out uh on top over the uh over the um Jacksonville Jaguars uh, whilst the Los Angeles Rams beat Seattle thirty three to thirty one thanks to a ballsy fourth down call something Jason Garrett could learn from uh <laughs> to to kill the game off uh it's impressive, like the the, the defences of the NFC West appear to have gone and it's impressive Seattle managed to stay in this game but Russell Wilson had something like 13 completions he was all this entire game was for them was, they managed to establish the run a little bit and then they got some big play action I don't think they're going to get that against a lot of teams I think actually it could end up being for them uh, Russell Wilson can make Russell Wilson plays and get outside the pocket, but 13 completions for 198 yards. So you're going well over 14 yards a, t- a completion. That's not going to work. That's another thing that's not sustainable. And we feel like we say this every season about the Seahawks. They do things which aren't sustainable long-term and the Rams come out 5-0. and
2: What's going on with the Rams' defence, though? Because this was a defence that looked great the first three weeks... And then last week, it gave up a load of points. This week, it gives up a load of points. So is that defense not as good as we thought, or are they really missing Tlaib and Peters?
1: I think they're really missing those pieces in the secondary. And I think they missed on offense, Brandon Cooks and Cooper Cup as well, They yeah. both went out with um, with concussion, which didn't allow them. We saw, even though they had, uh, you know, who's Daryl Hodge? You know, Josh Reynolds making back-to-back first-down plays, even though the quality of the system allowed some guys to step up and make plays, they definitely lost it. Um, what you had was, it's a surprise still, and this happened previously, this happened last season, they can be run on, despite the fact mm. that they've got Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue up front. So that's where Seattle focused on and then used the play action to pick on those court. The, the fact that they are missing pieces in the backfield, I kind of feel like they'll figure it out. And even if they don't, they're going to be fun and they're going to outscore teams. A little bit like the Chiefs, who, um, isn't it funny that in that Chiefs game? I watched back the the highlights from that game because I was paying attention to Red Zone while most people were watching that game on Sky. The Blake Portals made four or five of the best throws he's made all season, but also turned the ball over enough times that the, the Chiefs came away with a win despite putting in their their worst offensive performance of the season.
2: It is weird. and Weird. Uh, uh, weird. Bortles at times look great, but the, I think two of the, the turnovers, the interceptions were on him, two, were, two I don't think were. It's just the Kansas City Chiefs are arrowhead. That defense, which is much maligned, because they're at home at Arrowhead, it, it's more of a leveler. That defense on the road is still tricky, and the defense then stepped up when Mahomes and the offense stuttered. I think we saw a bit more from Kareem Hunt, who looked good on the ground, and he's slowly but surely getting making his way into into this season, really into this offense. Uh, and Jacksonville couldn't really couldn't really live with the turnovers and I, I kind of feel sorry a little bit for that defense but in the end home uh, you know home team rules and it had this game been played in jacksonville perhaps the score could have been re- reversed but well they
1: surrendered a career high 430 passing yards to bortles yeah. so it was hardly like they were a shut down defense but they were just opportunistic which we've seen from them in the past, and, and you know, maybe that's what it's going to take from the Chiefs for, to or in order to beat the the higher end teams. I think the thing that really stood out to me from this game, outside of that, is I just talked about the Rams scheming guys open. Uh, the the Jags have got those two insanely quick linebackers inside in in Miles Jack and Telvin Smith. And so far, tight ends this season through four games, just one hundred and thirty five yards on fourteen catches. Travis Kelsey had a hundred yards on five catches and partially that's because he is awesome, but partially it's because the scheme, excuse me, <laughs> big sneeze. Um, I tried to get to the end of the sentence and then I was going to mute my mic before I did it, but partially it's because the scheme got him open. I'm really sorry if that's absolutely deafened people, but I can't be bothered to edit it. Actually. That's
2: really no. funny. Leave the sneeze in. Yeah. Look, <laughs> Kelsey did look good, but I don't know about you. He, he, or it could have been maybe the stream that we were watching in, in Riley's, but he looked quite slow. And had he, has he, have, if he had that extra yard of pace, he could have really, really dominated. But as it is, 100 yards, still a pretty good game for I Travis Kelsey. But I think that's
1: what we're saying. Travis Kelsey isn't slow, particularly by tight end terms, but that Jags that's defense it. is so fast at yeah. closing people down. And so. They make him look slow, but the fact is he's open and catching those balls and then slowed down afterwards, which is, you know, uh, not ideal for the Jags when ideally they want to be stopping him before that. Um, Let's move on and talk about the. Uh, The the NFC Championship rematch, the Minnesota Vikings running out 23-21 winners over the Eagles. And and honestly, that scoreline looking a lot tighter than it probably should have done. They gave up the late touchdown to the Eagles and then recovered the onside kick. Um, But Kirk Cousins, for probably the third game this season, looked like an absolute superstar quarterback. Like... Top five on this year potential. If you take his three best performances of the year and just look at those, he could be MVP level. 81% completion, 301 yards and a score. And some of the best, considering his offensive line, isn't playing particularly well. Some of the best throws under pressure I've seen this season. Him, uh, Thielen, I said, because him and Thielen and Stefan Diggs are, are just... Tearing apart good defences and, uh, yeah, it's really exciting to watch.
2: He looked so, so good, didn't he, Cousins? But what he does well is not only pulling off those incredible throws, tight windows and such like, but he does everything else so meticulously as well. And we, we spoke about um, the the passage in Mike Calvin's book, a couple of weeks ago where he's brought in all of these extra things, all of these extra people to manage particular parts of his life, to make him then the best version he can be on the field. But we're really seeing the fruition of that now. And he does all the very simple things that a quarterback needs to do. Well, well, so the, you know, you don't get missed handoffs to the running back. You don't get fumbled snaps. You get the ball coming out quick all of the basics and fundamentals he is completely on point with and then that allows him also to do all of the extra extraordinary things and 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 get those completed so and and when you've got a supporting cast with thielen and Diggs and then Kyle Rudolph as well who is obviously a really safe pair of hands is that red zone threat didn't get in the red zone this this week but all of those things, the offense can click when it clicks. Imagine if and, they and, had an and, offensive line. Wow!
1: Imagine, imagine if they had an offensive line. Imagine if they had a running game. Because no Dalvin Cook again, and Latavius Murray and Rock Thomas combined for three point three yards per carry average. That uh, that just kind of uh, yeah. That, I mean that just Cousins has been. Do you know he's the th- the first quarterback in NFL history to make thirty completions four games in a row? And you can say that that's indicative of the way that the league has gone this season, the way that the league has moved towards being more passing heavy, but just great. Just great. Um, From an Eagles perspective, they absolutely lacked that amazing deep threat and that amazing vertical game that they showed in the, in the NFC championship game uh, when uh, Nick Foles pulled them apart and, and absolutely slaughtered them. Um, The Eagles didn't get a single third down in the first half. Uh, They, Gave up. I mean, this is a game they still could have won because they gave up. Jay Ajayi gave up the ball inside the ten yard line when he was untouched. Uh, They had another turnover that when they were in a a good scoring position. Um, There was without Corey Clement and Darren Sproles they didn't develop the the ground game, and now Jay Ajayi's gone as well. Uh, There is, I think, Wendell Smallwood in the second half showed really some real potential for what he can be to that offense, but I don't think it works with just him I wouldn't be surprised to see them go and try and get a kind of bell cow in the mold that they used La garrett blunt last year and have smallwood as the as the complimentary guy um yeah i the Eagles are two and three too many errors this doesn't look like the team of last year I think if they weren't in an NFC East where nobody seems to want to win that division right now, they could go from Super Bowl team to missing the playoffs.
2: I think that's a great shout. I, I don't think a wild card team is going to be coming out of this division. And, yeah, they, they they don't look their usual self. Alshon Jeffrey had a good game last week, but, you know, six uncaught balls this week. Zaka still looks great, but... It, When the rest of the receiving core isn't doing what it should be doing, then that puts extra pressure on him, extra pressure on on Carson Wentz, who I'm still yet to be convinced that he's going to be that he's back to his best. Obviously, because he he doesn't he doesn't look back to his best because he's not
1: winning games yet.
2: Because he's not winning games yet, and just with the eye test, he doesn't look like the Carson Wentz of last the, year.
1: The the Ollie Hunter smell test,
2: the Ollie Hunter smell and slash eye test. Yeah. So, but you're going up against that Vikings defense, who, I mean, we tend to wax lyrical about it every week, but just
1: it's, and just, they a, it's said- just a great unit. Yeah, but and they haven't been as good this year as they have been previously, actually. The Vikes defence hasn't got up to that level yet, and they've had some poor games, but they've been bailed out by Cousins when they haven't needed to. And yeah. I believe in Mike, last week they weren't good enough, but I believe in Mike Zimmer enough and the talent that they've got there that I think, well, I think they'll figure that out. I have no. In fact, I have no, almost no doubt they'll figure that out. In a league where you can't predict anything, I'm predicting the Vikes defence. <laughs> figure it <laughs> out. Go on, um, <laughs> thanks mate. Um do you know what was weird this weekend? Weird. weird. Um, we not only uh, had a Browns win, we also had a Bills win and a
2: Cardinals win.
1: What's, What's going, going on, on Ollie? <laughs> What's happening in the NFL?
2: What is the NFL? I don't know. Um,
1: Tennessee, who were unbelievable against the Eagles in that second half on offense, were brilliant. And this time, you had... Tawan Taylor uh, losing a horrible fumble. Marcus Mariota, uh, uh, Dion Lewis losing a killer fumble. Uh, Ryan Suckup having to score four field goals to put anything on uh, on them. And, and the Buffalo defense I thought played pretty well, like end to end. But Mariota, one hundred and twenty-nine yards and five yards per throw. Where was the guy we saw at the tail end of last week?
2: It's it's really strange that this game was a game for people that like defense because nothing was happening on offense 129 yards for Mariota and an interception Josh Allen had only 82 yards and an interception Lashawn McCoy couldn't run the ball Derek Henry at least looked like he could run the ball a bit I don't know why they didn't give it to him more often it just wasn't a pretty game in any way was it this one and and, and... one that I think everyone that was there probably would like to forget quickly
1: And the thing is, yeah, it just shows that even with the Bills being a team that we've talked about lacking some talent, they have got some good players on that front seven, the likes of of Trent Murphy, the likes of uh, Jerry Hughes. And the fact is that beating them in the cold up in Buffalo is going to be tough this year. And they will stay in games at home because it's a hard place to go and play. Is that going to be enough for them? I seriously doubt it, but... um, You know, they're going to be probably a more successful team than we were expecting this year.
2: Yeah, I think that's about right. Um, They're they're playing hard. Also, we should say uh, the other thing
1: is that, yeah, playing hard is the right way to put it because. Josh Allen had the rushing touchdown and showed what he could do on the ground. But previously, he was their entire rushing game. Actually, Sean McCoy had his best game of the season. And and Chris Ivory had a couple of big runs in the third and fourth quarter, which chewed the clock and slowed the game down and made sure that the... uh, Not slowed the game, sped the game up, I guess, in terms of what it does for the clock. And and actually meant that, you know, they had the time of possession battle. And and that was enough to keep the Titans off the field and keep the win. So, well done, Buffalo. Excellent yeah. work. Yeah, you go, Bufalo. Um, <laughs> right, let's... Uh, the, the Cardinals also got a win this weekend. And it was How do you the... feel about that, Willie? So, I, it, it's a rough one because you know that I, I, I'm pretty realistic about where we are with the 49ers season this year. But what a bizarre game of football this proved to be as two teams went to one and four. Woo-hoo. But the... These are just here are some of the stats from this game All right, at, the, uh, me. at the weekend. Uh, the Arizona uh, the 49ers outgained the Cardinals by 227 yards. <laughs> the 49ers had 92 offensive plays to the Cardinals 49. The 49ers had 33 first downs to the Cardinals 10. The 49ers had nearly f- had sorry over 40 minutes in the time of possession. But they turned the ball over five times and lost. And not all of those turnovers are necessarily on CJ Beathard, who had some really good throws and was, you know, up, probably had an up and down day overall. You could see that Shanahan was frustrated with the offense after the first half. You know, at, at least one or two of the strip sacks, there wasn't people picking up blitzes. Matt Breida went out of the game, more injury problems for the 49ers. They're having a Chargers-esque season with the number of injuries that they're having. So it was a just it was just a weird one. And absolutely, Josh Rosen and the Cardinals—they did what they had to do. They capitalized. They didn't turn the ball over, which is always impressive from a rookie quarterback. Fair play to them. Well done. Good work.
2: I know that must have hurt there. Well, I was going to ask you about Breeder because looking just looking at the box score, Alfred Morris got far more of the work before Breeder went out. Was it a? Was it a committee or was Breeder the main guy?
1: I, I, Breeder is always going to be used a bit differently, even though he's been the kind of the more impressive of the um, the more impressive of the the two backs so far this season, because he's not the um, the prototypical three down back who can do a- absolutely everything. So there is going to be an element with it that you are going to see um, that you that you're going to see. Matt Breeder needing to work alongside another back, and it's Alfred Morris at the moment, and it would have been Jarek McKinnon, and it would, you know, maybe yeah. be Levy on Bell in the future. I'm going to keep pushing that until somebody believes me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, 49ers, there's still plenty to be reasonably positive about, despite the fact that they're probably only going to win two or three games this year at this point. Um, one of the teams coming over to London, the other team coming over to London, we've not talked about yet. The Oakland Raiders uh, faced the Los Angeles Chargers, and um, it was just a really efficient Chargers win. They just looked the better team throughout. Philip Rivers, two, 22 of 27, 339 yards, two touchdowns, uh, seven different receivers. Keenan Allen with eight catches for 90 yards on nine targets. It, it, Keenan Allen's um, target to catch ratio through his career is. Absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, Oakland, for as much as um, Matt Sherry wants to tell us that they're decent on offense, and Derek Carr had an okay day, you know, a solid statistically, but there were mistakes. There was a costly third-quarter interception in the end zone when the, Oakland had a chance to score at the one-yard line. Um, eight interceptions on the season against seven touchdowns, picking three straight games. I'm not convinced by the Carr Gruden connection in the way that we were told in the off season that that was going to work out.
2: Uh, you know how I feel about the Raiders. I think they're a bit of a charlatan team, uh, coached by head coach, which is the also a charlatan. charlatan. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. ultimate charlatan. So I'll, I'll I'll breeze past them. I want to talk about the Chargers. Can we believe in this Chargers team? Because they're effectively playing 16 away games. They don't have a home team, a home field advantage. Melvin Gordon looks good. I like the, what they do in getting Austin Eckler the ball as a receiver. He's not that particularly effective on the ground. And Phil Rivers, really efficient as the, the bubbled snap um, on a first and tenner side. Philip Rivers is a really efficient quarterback.
1: Yeah, and, and do you know what? You know, I mean... The fact is they had a really tough start to the year. Uh, they're still recovering from injuries. Joey Bosa will be back within the next couple of weeks to help them massively on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not worrying too much at the moment still about them. I think they can develop and show that they are a playoff worthy team. They clearly have playoff quality players. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not stressing about uh, the Los Angeles Chargers quite yet. I, I might do in the longer run, but you know, I, I think that they, in a again weird AFC West outside of the Chiefs, um, where you know, it's difficult to tell what any of the other teams are at the moment. Um, I'm kind of, I, I I kind of think that they've got plenty still in the tank to show us.
2: Well, I think with Bosa coming back, that's going to be absolutely huge because Melvin Ingram he got the he got the the uh, interception. From Derek Carr in the end zone. Brilliant play. But he can't do it all himself defensively. And having Bosa back will make him a better player and make the, the, the Chargers defence pretty, pretty scary. So I'm looking forward to, to Bosa coming back. Hopefully in time for the London games. Hopefully, hopefully.
1: I, I think it's gonna be the week I think it's gonna be after the bye and after the London game, that's gonna be probably his last game out, annoyingly.
2: But we'll get to see him. On our tour, so that's good.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the, one of the reasons I say the AFC West is weird is that the uh, New York Jets beating the Denver Broncos 34-16. to That Broncos defense who showed some real excellence in the front seven over recent weeks got completely pulled apart by Sam Darnold. too. Honestly, there was a bit of hand-wringing going on after the number three overall pick was brilliant in week one and then really hadn't he 'd only shown little flashes since then and hadn 't managed to live up to the level that he'd he'd played in that first week um, the 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 stat line isn 't going to be hugely impressive ten of twenty two and one hundred and ninety eight yards, but three touchdowns, one interception a seventy six yard touchdown pass, which was a very impressive throw to Robbie anderson and uh, there was um the, the the throw that gave the jets the twenty one to ten lead going into half time. Uh, on the uh the other the thirty five yard touchdown pass to Robbie Anderson was an even better play. Oh,
2: it's a beautiful throw, wasn't it? So so there are still yeah, we we do forget
1: that these guys are just in the league. They've only just got into the NFL. Maybe give them some time to grow and that's the one thing he showed was some real growth. Um I I don't get the Broncos, I'm gonna move on. Vance well, Joseph's very quickly, too much to figure out.
2: The Broncos on defence, they gave up over three hundred yards on the ground. Isaiah Crowell went absolutely crazy, two hundred and nineteen. But Lau Powell on any other day with ninety nine yards you'd say he's had a really good day as well.
1: Just I, I know that no one cares about other people's fantasy teams, but that's Isaiah Crowell sat on the bench in three out of my six leagues. Yeah. All it, games I you would have
2: won if I'd started him. Exactly. You can't legislate for the for something like that happening against a defense that lo- had looked really, really good going into, going into this game against the New York team, which didn't look good. It, th- that's why the NFL is so wonderful, but also frustrating in equal measure. Ooh,
1: How philosophical, Ollie. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, 41, the Atlanta Falcons, 17. Uh, what's, where, where was this Steelers team last weekend on Sunday Night Football? Uh, running I want my the ball- money back.
2: I'm right <laughs> back because we had to sit through the Steelers' dreadful second half performance on offense, and they come out absolutely blow away the Falcons. And the Falcons, by the way, th- their defense uh, is dreadful, and we can't keep saying that, but it, I mean, it really is. But the Steelers, yeah, Big Ben looked good, James Conner great on the ground, Antonio Brown finally had, uh, finally making some plays, although seven. Um, seven of his he didn't take seven of his catches so that's something to look at but yeah what what's going on
1: um, I think the Pittsburgh defence looked really good against the Falcons is one thing I will say uh, compared with yeah. last week blitzes pressures they got to the quarterback six times um you know they, they showed some real good speed and they showed some really good um, they, they showed some really good scheming on that defensive side of the ball against an offense which we know is absolutely loaded and held them to just seventeen points. I think that's the most impressive part of this game. Uh, you mentioned James Connor. The first eight snaps of the game, they gave him six carries for forty three yards, one catch for twenty nine yards, and a touchdown. You're like, whoa, 110 rushing yards uh, in the end on 21 carries, 75 receiving yards on four catches. Uh, and then Antonio Brown, two touchdowns in the second half. This was more like what we expected from the Steelers' offense this year. A real kind of comeback game for them. Atlanta, I think this could end up being a bit of a lost season for them at one and four in a tough NFC South. Uh, it's disappointing because there's a lot of talent there, but... They've been charged with the amount of injuries they've had on the defensive side of the ball and they're struggling to to coach around it.
2: Yeah, absolutely Uh, decimated, haven't they?
1: Uh, <laughs> are you in? You're not. You're not in the right studio to have the sports bar um, soundboard up. But I could really do with the laughter track right now because in the third quarter, the Miami Dolphins led the Cincinnati Bengals <laughs> seventeen points to zip. Going into the fourth quarter, they were seventeen to three up. Joe Mixon, who had returned, he uh, he, he to a, to a Cincy team who averaging. 31.5 points going into Sunday. Put another 27 points up in the end as he capped off a brilliant eight-play 71-yard drive with a catch for a touchdown. And then we saw the Dolphins absolutely implode to the Cincy defence. Uh, the the two defensive touchdowns, one on the interception, one on the fumble. Michael Johnson, uh, that errant pass, which just fell into his arms for him to return. He then got the... the he then got the stri- uh, Sorry, Carlos Dunlap then got the strip sack with uh, two minutes plus left of the game, and Sam Hubbard ran it in. And the, and the Dolphins, even at that point, having seen the the team just absolutely decimated, couldn't find any late will. I, I, Simon Clancy, if he listens to this, won't like it. But I feel like we're seeing more like the Dolphins team I expected to see this season than we did through the first three weeks. Maybe there is an argument for still asking the Ollie Hunter question of what are they. Right now, the Bengals are a great team. The Dolphins, despite being 3-2, and two, are
2: not so much for me. Bengals are so much fun to watch when it gets going for them. And it was surprising that it took that long for them to get going on offense because they'd looked really good over the last few weeks with Tyler Boyd and AJ Green, getting Joe Mixon back and all of that. I think they missed Gio Bernard, who was inactive, out injured, and... I think that affected them. It took them a while to get going. Um, the Dolphins just—they're—they—they are a strange animal, a strange beast because Tannehill puts together a ninety-five-yard touchdown drive. Looks really good. Kenyon Drake getting the ball on the ground through the air. He scores the touchdown. That's the first we've really seen of Kenyon Drake, which is which is bizarre in itself. That a player that finished last season so strongly, it's taken the Dolphins five games to get the best out of him this time round. And then, they yeah, they they go into themselves, they implode, they allow the Bengals back into it, and when the Bengals got back into it with that touchdown, you kind of knew that they were going to run away with it because the Dolphins, I think, are, are mentally fragile, both in coaching and on the field. They didn't have the... Their leaders didn't step up. Tannehill didn't step up and close the game out so it's it's worrying it's another defeat in the north outside in the cold for the dolphins where if they're going to do anything this season they have to win every single game at home Divi-
1: and 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 do something within their division as well where they've got exactly. to go to Buffalo to New England we've already seen them do it there and to New York yeah not easy uh the two games left to talk about uh the Carolina Panthers and the New York Giants 33 to 31 a game which really had pretty much it all we had uh Odell Beckham throwing a 50 plus yard touchdown pass to Saquon Barkley brilliant wasn't it Best arm of anyone on that Giants offence. But, yeah, we had a Carolina Panthers team who actually, it, it, do you know what it was? It was mistake ridden from both teams. Yeah. Nobody came out of this game looking brilliant, but they came out with the win in the end. And, uh, oh, it was down to one man in particular, Ollie,
2: Christian McCaffrey. No, Graham. Oh, Graham B-S. Yeah, it was. 63-yard. <laughs> Field goal, longest of his career, just brilliant. And uh, the the calls that are going around social media, the Spanish language call, even the English language call as well, as that goes over, just brilliant. It was, it was a, a booming monster kick. And actually, I think when it comes down to it, the, the Panthers just about deserved to win that. Um, I said something a bit ludicrous, and I'm surprised that you haven't brought it up. But I'm gonna I'm gonna out myself and I said, What is Odell Beckham? I don't really I what I haven't really seen it. Don't get it. I get it now. I'm sorry. I mean like I mean to, he's I mean I'd he's like gone to apologise to you formally in this medium. <laughs> I mean he's gone
1: over a hundred yards uh in three or five games already this season. So yeah. he did have a couple of mistakes this weekend though. Bad drop uh in, in uh, the game at one point. Um also lined up as a punt returner um which was when they had the um uh the the, the weird panthers touchdown uh that the, they scored off the the muffed punt they, so there were some weird moments there were, it wasn't all perfect but you know overall they were the better team um and uh, and they come out with the win and you're going to need to grind those out in weird games like that if you're going to have any chance in the NFC South with the Saints on the roll Ollie, uh, what's the last game we've got to talk about i don't remember
2: well I, I just wanted to ask you very quickly about Eric Reid. he, he knelt during the anthem um yeah. first panthers player to do that in in quite a partisan part of the country what did you make not necessarily of the of the the kneeling but did you see any of him as a as a defensive piece?
1: Um, I, do, do you know what? I haven't seen... Uh, this is one of the games that I've only watched the short highlights back yet. I haven't watched the full... Um, I, I, I only watched the 22 film on two or three games a week, but I haven't even watched the condensed version of this game yet, so I couldn't tell you okay. any, any huge amount. And it appeared that he... Um, it, it appeared that he wasn't uh, on the field for every single snap, but I... Yeah, from what I saw, but I, you know, I'd need to go back and look at the game log and and consider it. So I'm going to be honest with you; I'm not sure I can answer that question.
2: Well, if you want, just take that out, and I'll pick up and go. <laughs> No, I'm leaving it in. I'm oh, leaving you're such in. a great guy. What a
1: hero. Oh, no, he, he played 45 snaps apparently, 48 snaps of this game. So that would suggest that he played a, a bulk of the defensive snaps. If not, let me just have a look, 48. So he's on the field 85.7% of the game. So they clearly trusted him early on, despite him having only just joined up with the team. Um, yeah, I, I'd need to watch it back. That's, I'm going to be honest with you. But yeah, he's, he's clearly, uh, they, they desperately needed safety help and he's helping from moment one. This all feels
2: like you're avoiding talking about the Packers though. Um, yeah, I am a little bit. I'm really disappointed. This was a game a bit like with the San Francisco-Arizona game where Green Bay did all the running, did all the first downs, but mistakes cost them, mistakes from the Packers themselves, mistakes from the referees, and the Lions did just about enough to come away with the victory.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure the Lions did do enough to come away with the victory, but they did. That's the, So, you know, <laughs> I actually thought that the, the Packers were still by far the better team, even in a game where they found themselves down big. Um, obviously, that's got to be hugely frustrating for you uh, but and hugely frustrating for Packers fans. But this wasn't the Lions team that went and hammered the New England Patriots by any stretch of the imagination. It required a lot of mistakes from the Packers for them to get to where they were. The comeback attempt ended up being too little, too late. But it was just an absolute first half meltdown. And I mean, Mason Crosby won't be, uh, by the sounds of it, hearing Mick McCarthy after the game cut in the way that we've seen some of the um, some of the rookies this season cut immediately after a single bad get a performance. They trust him, and he's gained enough trust over the last. Um, over the last couple of years. And and deserved deservedly so, I think. But uh yeah, he had a Sunday to forget.
2: Four missed field goals um it just uh, a missed PAT as well, I think. He he wasn't. He just. He just wasn't good. The poor fella. He kept it. He hit the bar. Uh, he hit the 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 post twice. Either each post. So the left and the right post once each. He skewed one left. He he pulled one right. It it just was not a good performance from him. And there was a a, a kind of a touching moment from Rogers on the sideline who went up to him and and you know gave him a couple of words and. Rogers backed him afterwards and said he's my guy and we all have bad days at the office. But it, that, I think, then went through the entire team. Jimmy Graham missed two easy passes in the red zone. He had another couple of other really bad misses in the open field where it would have gone for, for first downs on third downs. So he didn't have a very good game. He's be, he's become he's not becoming but he's showing signs of the of the player that people feared Green Bay had got rather than the, the one player they hoped that they, they got. rather than the one that they hoped that we that we thought was going to be the case when he scored that touchdown against the Bills last week and then. The muffed, the muff punt decision. It's just I know the referees had. You got to
1: play better than the refs, ref, and all of that. But I know all it, of that. It but was, it was about it. it. It was, was a terrible such
2: ball. a bad, such a bad one. And I think Mike McCar- Mick McCarthy, not Mike McCarthy, but I think Mick, <laughs> Mike McCarthy, he, he allows the those kind of decisions to affect him, and then that f- proliferates. All the way down, and then affects the rest of the team. He uh, he gets so upset by by these bad decisions that it it clearly affected everything else. And the Packers, all right, they're two two and one, and it's it's a a division which is pretty hard to call given the defense of the Bears and how Mitch Trubisky played so well against the Buccaneers in that first half and then the Vikings we expect their defence to come out and play and Kirk Cousins is playing the best football of his career the Packers have to win games like this against the Lions and they're just not doing it they are at the moment the Packers are, the, are their own worst enemy
1: Um, yes Completely agreed. It's going to be uh, weird NFC North again uh, this year. Uh, some odd divisions to, to, for us to discuss. Uh, that kind of wraps us up on the show. The one thing I forgot to talk about was uh, the Odell Beckham off the field controversies. The interviews that he did with Justina Anderson from ESPN. Um, and uh, well, I've got I've got Pat Sherman. Let's hear from Pat Shermer and his reaction uh, to uh, to what was said by Odell Beckham. Um, in the build-up to the game where essentially he suggested that the team lacked a, a bit of heart, a bit of conviction and that he didn't know if it basically didn't back his quarterback.
2: All right, listen, I'm going to answer all the drama questions right now and I'm going to go back to what I said. All right. I addressed it with Odell. I addressed it with our team. I publicly declared that I didn't agree with his comments. And I asked anybody that was interested If they wanted clarification, go to Odell, because he's a big man. Now, I'm not going to give the public a pound of flesh on this, right? That would make me small, not strong. And these are the kind of things, in my opinion, when you have the locker room that we have that will help galvanize them, because the locker room took care of it. And that's all I'm saying on it. Finito. Done. Done. Pat
1: Shermer on the Odell Beckham situation. Um, I just, I really just wanted to play that because it's so salty, uh, and uh, and I quite enjoy it. Ollie,
2: <laughs> I was doing the salty, um, you know, the salty. You were salt baying. Yeah, that I was doing that. I don't what the action. I was doing that.
1: Yeah, the, you you were performing the meme. Uh, and the Giants now have to face the Eagles, who I think desperately need to bounce back. The Falcons, who desperately need to bounce back. Washington, who desperately need a bounce back. They could have a really rough few weeks coming up. Um, I will repeat time and time again, I don't care how many big plays Saquon Barkley makes, Eli Manning is not the answer. Why didn't you draft a quarterback in a draft with a proliferation of good quarterbacks when next year the draft looks rough as sin? Uh, You're going to get a high pick for next year, but there's not really by the looks of it, worthy quarterbacks in there. And the following year, I mean, you could try and trade and pick up first-round picks for the following year to make sure that you can move up and get the Wunderkind out of Alabama. But uh, I, I still, still don't are, think yeah. it's not going to work for you, I don't think. I think the Giants have really missed a trick for their long-term quality as a franchise. The Giants have offense, browned so. and
2: it. That's what yeah, you're
1: saying. I think they really have. So, yeah. sorry, Giants fans. Could be a world of hurt coming up unless you do something special. Uh, Ollie. Thursday night football coming up. We're going to get the sky bet read of things for that Giants-Eagles game coming. It's almost like I planned to talk about Odell Beckham ahead of the Eagles game on Thursday night, forgetting that they were the team playing on Thursday. NFC East Clash in prime time. What a shock. Um, Yeah, who would have thunk it? Yeah, you know, I don't like picking away teams on the road on Thursday night it does feel like the eagles desperate for a bounce back against a, a giants team who keep getting in their own way i'm going to take the eagles but i'm not sure it's going to be pretty
2: i think it'll be fun i i quite I, these games are that they, they the, the two teams really hate each other that's a fact it's amazing that in the nfc east all of these teams hate each other that much but they actually really do and that means I think it will be a fun game to watch from that respect. But I think the lack of quality, quarterbacking quality on both teams at the moment may affect the quality on the field. I'm going to take the Eagles because do you know what? I'm not, I'm going to take the Giants. I've changed it. I've got to take the Giants. I think the Eagles downward spiral is a, at the moment and, and because they're on the road is a little worse than the Giants. So I will take the Giants in this game.
1: All right. Fair play, Ollie.
2: I'll and I'm locking it, it up. Oh, no, that's not us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, Ollie, I will get the Skybet thought on this, but any
2: final thoughts before we do so? No final thoughts from me, Willie. <laughs>
1: All right. In which case, thank you so much for listening. This has been the Gridiron Show and let's get a look forward to Thursday Night Football. The treble came in last week. Just a reminder, the treble came in last week with our friends at Skybet. Right. So take a look forward now to Thursday Night Football and a few other bits of the market. Jacob joins us from Skybet. Uh, Jacob, let's start off with uh, with the Super Bowl odds through week five. Have we seen much movement in the market in the last week or so?
0: At the top of the market, we've not seen too much. A lot of the teams that were sitting at the top won their games this weekend. We've still got the Rams at the top with three to one. The Chiefs sat just behind them at six to one. The Patriots then at eight to one. New Orleans Saints are a team that have been cut in a fair bit and now into nine to one after last week, uh, last night's fairly convincing victory. And the first team you really come to that's drifted out as a result of a loss is Jacksonville. Who obviously played against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, and it was a fairly convincing victory for the chiefs we We talked about this game as a game that would really show us just how good the chiefs were, as Jacksonville were a team a lot of people were very high on, and I think they showed exactly who they exactly who they are, and I think the jags in response to that have have drifted back out
1: yeah, I don't know if that makes absolute sense because of the nature of the win as well the turnovers the chiefs defense stepping up it they showed facets they hadn't shown previously so no i'm not surprised to hear that uh, at all and what about we we like to look at a different market each week and we've talked about the rookie of the year etc what about um what about the mvp at the moment because gridiron certainly prior to the season we are very braggadocious that we put uh, pat mahomes in the magazine as our dark horse mvp uh, and I imagine that the market for him's pretty decent. Who else have we got in amongst the mix?
0: You'd be absolutely right. Mahomes is sitting as the favourite at the moment. He's at four to one. This is somebody that just after the draft was a hundred to one, and then come September was sixty-six to one. So this is a massive move in, and I think he's surpassed all expectations of how he was going to play. Not just from how he was going to move the ball, but how he's looked after the ball as well. Just behind him, we've got Drew Brees at nine to two. Last night, becoming all-time leading passer, and has they've really had the ball in his hands a lot. I think he'll benefit from Mark Ingram coming back, as we saw last night. They were able to run the ball more and a bit a bit more consistently. Then we've got Jared Goff at eleven to two. This is another interesting one because just behind him is Todd Gurley at eight to one. So I think a lot of people think the MVP might come from that team, but it's it's working out who. Goff's playing very, very well, but Todd Gurley's got nine touchdowns already and we're only in week five. So Wow. Yeah, so it's uh it could be a very close one between those two. And then of the two favourites we had at the start of the season, going into the season, Brady and Rogers were five to one each, and they've both drifted out. Rogers at sixteen to one, I mean the Packers that loss this week against Detroit and just the tie against Minnesota, I think it's going to be tough for them. And similarly, Tom Brady sitting now at 10-1, to so just behind the front four, just behind Gurley. I think There's a lot of years where Brady probably should win it, but one person just absolutely kills it. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I think this might be one of those seasons where we've got Mahomes and they probably prefer to give it to somebody who's come out of nowhere than somebody who's... The bar is set so high for Brady, I think.
1: Um I think yeah you're absolutely right it's the same as the coach of the year isn't it with Bill Belichick every year we see the same thing uh, with him as well and so always a a risky one on the MVP market kind of almost gets overlooked now I've already bragged about it Jacob last week's uh, request a bet came in uh, for Thursday night. Pretty pleased with the fact that we had that. The Sony Michelle, James White both scoring a touchdown, the Patriots to win. Uh, and we've got a, another really intriguing Thursday night matchup coming up between the Eagles and Giants. So much so that I don't want to pick a winner this week. I've decided that already.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting game, you know. The Eagles have lost Jay Ajayi for the season with his torn ACL. We're not sure if Corey Clement's going to play. So at the moment, the Eagles are looking pretty thin on the ground at running back. And I think the Giants, they they played fairly well at the weekend, but it's its going to be, I, I can see it being a tight one, like you say. So Quan Barkley's playing very well. Beckham had a very good game, but it could be a very tough one to pick.
1: Uh, so here's here's what I like in terms of the request a bet for this week so I think because neither of these teams is scoring particularly highly we've got an average of I think the Eagles are on 20.8 uh, points the Giants on 24.6 points you know neither of them are absolutely scoring demons at the moment but these are games these two like look at last season both came within a score but both were very high scoring 50, uh, 61 and, and 53 points in those two games and the short week, the inability to prepare defensively for the opposition, the the decent weapons and, and quarterbacks on both sides of the ball. I'm being far too nice to Eli Manning there. <laughs> so I'm going for plus the 45 point line. And then I want to combine that with Saquon Barkley for 100 plus yards from scrimmage. He did it again this week, including that long touchdown catch from Odell Beckham, because I think that... He will be leaned on quite heavily against the Eagles on a short week uh, at home in New York. And then on the other side of things, with Jay Ajayi going down, uh, with the running game pretty decimated right now, uh, Zach Ertz went 110 yards off nine targets and a touchdown this past weekend. I think he's going to continue to be Wentz's safety blanket. So I'm going 45 points, Saquon Barkley 100 yards from scrimmage, and Zach Ertz to score a touchdown.
0: Yeah, I think you're right with Soquan Bar- Barkley. He's averaging 116 y- yards from scrimmage per game. And his split is 308 rushing yards, 274 receiving yards. So they're using him in both facets of the game, including that incredible play, like you said, from the throw from Odell Beckham. And similarly, Zach Ertz, in the past two weeks, they've had 222 yards to him. So, And I think, like you say, he got the touchdown last week. There's, there could be a chance that Wentz has to really lean on him, and like you say, when they when running backs go down, they say tight ends are a, a quarterback's best friend. So we've got that 45 plus points, Saquon Barkley 100 plus scrimmage yards, and Zach Ertz to score a touchdown at 11 to two.
1: Beautiful. I'm going to be backing it again this week and we can hopefully go back to back Thursday night winners. Uh, is, there a, uh, is there a special on for people who want to request a bet, Jacob?
0: <laughs> there is, funnily enough.
1: It's as if I already knew. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep, Thursday night football, as always, means there's the request a bet offer on. So if you spend £10 on request a bet markets, then you'll get a £5 free bet to spend on any NFL market, whether that's another request a bet, whether that's the MVP market or whether you fancy anything else on the NFL.
1: Brilliant stuff. Of course, as always, terms and conditions apply. It is over 18s only. Head to skybet.com for the latest, and please gamble responsibly. Uh, Jacob, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Hi everyone, it's Dev off the radio here. We're doing a brand new podcast from LucasAid Sport called Running the Show.
2: And I'm Sam Thompson from Made in Chelsea. Hey. I'll be joining annoying/slash being overly affectionate with Dev okay. for the next 12 weeks as we both take up running for the first time. Make sure you join us on all your podcast providers to find out which one of us is killing the training and which one of us is hating every second. Probably me.